from KIOS in Omaha. You are listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today, I have one of my favorite guests and one of your favorite guests from what I hear, Matthew Worsner. He's a local attorney, and he usually is not here to plug anything. He just likes to talk issues with me, teach me some lessons, and tell me some history. So at this time, we decided to talk about a relatively non-controversial issue, policing in America. If the government wants to tell the police you must do something in certain circumstances, it has the ability to do so. And that happens very frequently in cases of domestic violence calls. That's a deliberate decision by whoever makes that decision to remove one person from that situation to possibly defuse the violence. If every statute and law was like that though, I bet it would be really, really hard to be a police officer. Stay tuned for the conversation right here on Riverside Chats. Hello? Wanna be a munchie boy? Listen to Omaha's new goofy food podcast, The Munchie Boys. Every week, we get food from a different local restaurant. Let's go. We munch. Yes, there is munch. And talk about the experience. What we got. Where did we go? We're still there. Two boxes of food. In lighthearted banter. I just jammed the rest of the Mediterranean in my mouth. Meatball-based items. In a way that is both zany. This is going to be crazy. We might end up throwing up. And fun. My hands are burning. Hell yeah. Every episode features an exclusive song. Where we sing about our weekly adventures and feature a different analog synth. It's a synth model. Play the track now. Now, yeah, we need to. Yeah. It sounds like haha, bro. Check out Munchy Boys it's on Spotify, YouTube, streaming or streaming, and most other digital outlets. Uh, That's what happens. Munchy, Munchy, Munchy Boys. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. We just had an election here in Omaha. We've had endless numbers of controversies and things people are mad about. Oftentimes, uh, the anger does not always get toned down. It turns into a situation where you are not allowed to ask questions about certain things, or how dare you question the validity of any institutions in any context ever. And so, I think this show is a place where we can have those kinds of conversations where there aren't necessarily easy answers, where we're not necessarily going to come to an agreement, we're not necessarily going to persuade anybody of anything, um, but we're addressing it in an honest way that acknowledges the messiness of a lot of situations and the way that they exist from intention to execution. And so my favorite person to do that with is Matthew Worsner. He's a local attorney. I've had him on to talk history lessons, talk about the Supreme Court. Um, He likes to remind me he's not technically an expert on a lot of these issues, but he is a lawyer who understands law in a way that a layman like me does not. So I had him on today to talk about the nature, function, and possible reformations that could exist when we think about policing in America. So here's my latest conversation with Matthew Worsner. So, uh, Matthew Wersner's back on the show, uh, and he, you know, he's one of the most popular guests we've had, and I think he decided to be subversive and uh, maybe make some enemies today. Boy, is that, is that right? Is that I don't accurate? like the lead at all on that, but okay. Well, you'll make some friends, you'll make some enemies, you know. Excited uh, to be the only three-time guest. I think that's true. Worried about no, not no, no. being a fourth guest. You and Kari Eastman are the only people who've been on the show three times. That's great. I'm sure she'll get invited back for a fourth. Sounds like I won't. Uh, well, you know, it depends. Controversy is popular. I, you're, you're overplaying the controversy <laughs> aspect. Well, so you're, you're here to talk roughly about the obligations of the police and society. Is that fair? I, I think that's what we discussed. Okay. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like I was telling him off the air. This is not a show where I can really like fight or debate. I can sort of just, because it's public radio, I can sort of do the like, so my people intellectual think this. wit is so powerful. You can't debate it. That's what you meant. Well, so, okay, the, the police, obviously, they whether you want to engage with them in a controversial way or not, they are kind of a hot-button issue in terms of how they police, should they police, should we defund, should we abolish, should we reform, or is it perfect as is, right? It, I have noticed that they've been in the news for a variety of different reasons. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I know you, you're not here to talk about the history of the institution, but we, we the idea for the show did come from a conversation that we had, a couple conversations where you were talking about 
certain court cases and I forgot that you told me about those court cases <laughs> and I told you about those court cases again and you said hey I said we should do that on the show um, but I guess what, what part of it was was what is the actual constitutional duty of the police and something that I don't think I was really thinking about when we talked was how the police as we know it the institution is really not it's not like that was around in 1776 1790 is when the constitution is from if you really well, want. but like you know, if, if you really want to be schooled, I'm, yeah, all right, I, I surrender. <laughs> no, but I mean, like in the in the time when they're starting to figure out what's this country going to look like, one of the things they were not talking about was what's our what are our police officers going to do? What are our institutions for the police going to be like? My expectation is in the colonial days that the police would be unrecognizable from the standard farmer to us yeah. today. It'd be some guy with like a flintlock musket or something who is going to decide after he's had a couple of drinks at the pub that he's going to go out and actually enforce whatever the laws might be uh that's not what the police is today by any stretch of the imagination can we bridge that gap though because when when i was looking into it it sounds like um roughly you've got kind of the militia type setup and you've got the uh you know there are um like slave patrol was a thing. You had sort of like volunteers, deputies, towns would hire people to go shoot somebody else or get people for ransom. The the police, the way that I remember it, and I guess the, the fun backstory on me that the viewers probably don't know is my undergraduate degree is history and criminal justice, and I planned on becoming a police officer. Um, the law happened by accident, I suppose. But, you know, I... I forgot a lot about what I knew about policing in undergrad. If that's a, a good lead into <laughs> me talking about this topic. But um, policing as it existed in ye olden days is unrecognizable to what we have today. There were, there were no national councils or groups that set standards like they have today. Um, oftentimes the sheriff... Um, out in the Wild West was just some guy who had been appointed by whoever the local judge or magistrate was. Um, over time, though, the police have professionalized, if that's a word, and that's that's what the police will use to describe themselves, is professional. And the professionalization of policing is something that has happened over a period of time. And it comes with the collective police departments in the United States setting their own standards and policies and procedures for their conduct. And I, I know that there's probably a lot of disagreement just with the word professional, but it, it, it's meant to connotate a group of people who are holding themselves to a certain standard and are agreeing to police themselves well I, another connotation is just that it is a job like a professional full-time yeah, gig it's which your career i think a lot of the times this was just sort of a i'm gonna get in here and uh do a little gig i'm gonna go arrest this guy yeah and um, a lot of police officers i would say almost every single police officer takes their job incredibly seriously most police departments require incredibly rigorous background checks they require you to have a bachelor's degree at least a lot of them want people that have had military service most police departments don't want just some guy off the street like you would have had in 1790 now what what i found was that part of when it started to professionalize was in the prohibition era that the idea was that around then we really need to crack down on how much people are drinking we really need to get this away from sort of the, the local flavor and try to have something that looks a little bit more official. And also because it was sort of, uh, it was easier for just whoever had appointed them to sort of pick people who would do what they want. So it was sort of, there was a lot of corruption because there was really no oversight. What's the Clint Eastwood movie? Where oh man, every Clint Eastwood movie applies there's, here. There's, the judge is a bad guy, and he, like, appoints Clint Eastwood, the sheriff, to basically do his dirty work. Uh, I think there are multiple where that happens. But, yeah, no, like, that, that's the idea that, I mean, Prohibition was not uh, the great success maybe they hoped it would be as far as <laughs> trying to do something with that. But part of the idea was to make it less corrupt in, right. in making it more organized. And, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about corrupt police officers 
there's every stereotype comes from somewhere and ye olden police officers were substantially different for a variety of different ways than the ones that we have today um that's not to say that the ones today are perfect or are not corrupt or are not the same way that they were back then but it, it, it i will go out on a limb and say that the organization of policing as a whole is a lot more professional than it was back then. Okay, so that doesn't seem like uh, as controversial as I was expecting. So you know, we'll, we'll just wrap it up here. And uh, I, when you, you want to start some fires, come back. I I'm not sure what I was supposed to say <laughs> that I didn't. No. Uh, okay, so part of what I was surprised about when we first talked about this was that the I was surprised at some of the way the Supreme Court had ruled with the obligations of the of. Uh, like the constitutional obligations of the police are. But sure. like I was saying is, I don't know that I really had thought about how there was no reason for the Constitution to really say much about the police until fairly recently. And bear in mind, I don't practice in constitutional law and I don't practice in criminal law. So m- much of what I have to proclaim about is what I can recall from law school and the research that I did to make sure I didn't sound like a complete knucklehead when I'm here. Uh, But bear in mind, first and foremost, that I see the Constitution as a protection against the government and not necessarily a protection from the government. Um, Most of the prohibitions that you find in the Bill of Rights are the government cannot do something to you unless they meet certain criteria. They can't quarter soldiers in my house. They can't unreasonably search and seize. Um, they can't deprive me of due pro- due without due process. Most of the Constitution is, is framed that way. Um, once you get later on in terms of things like the 14th Amendment or the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery, again, it looks like it's the Constitution or the government protecting us, but I view it as the exact opposite of the government saying this is how um, what the framework that we have to be able to take your rights and freedoms away. This is what we have to do in order to meet those criteria. So I, I think your your starting viewpoint might be a little flawed, I guess, in the analysis. Well, okay. It's flawed because of what you assume. I think the police should do uh, for us, like the, the the police that the job is telling them to do something for me, as opposed to the limits of what it can do to me. So I I think most people assume when you pick up the phone and you call the police and you say, "Hey, I'd like to report a crime," the police will say, "Cool, we'll be right there," and the police, for the most part have pretty much carte blanche freedom to say no thanks we'll take the next one yeah so this this is the part that i think uh i i had heard about and apparently you told me about it before (laughs) um but it made an impact on me at least the second time um so what can you talk about what the reasoning is there why is it that the police which are in my view a public function they are public service for us we do pay for it out of taxes uh, why don't they have an obligation to answer calls and to help people who ask for it? Um, the jurisprudence on that is pretty well established, and it crosses both party lines. Um, and essentially, every district, every state, and the big S Supreme Court have all agreed that the police don't have a duty to protect you, the individual citizen. They have a duty to protect society at large, but uh, they don't have the duty to protect you, the individual who calls. Um, That's the general rule. States are free to make their own specific rules that say, in certain circumstances, the police shall do whatever. So the, the two cases that... Um, have come out in this area are Deshaney versus Winnebago. And um, in that one, it's really, in every case, 
in this field is really sad. And most Supreme Court cases that are well-known um, are sad. And so I'm, I, I'm not surprised. But DeShaney versus Winnebago, a little boy was getting abused by his father, and the Department of Social Services continually did something but didn't actually take the little boy out of his father's care. And the Supreme Court there said, nope, they don't have the duty to actually do anything unless they've created the harm. Um, the second case that reaffirmed that principle from the Supreme Court is Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, where um, ex-wife, ex-husband, they've got a custody arrangement. The ex-wife, the mom, has custody of the three kids and has a protection order that says dad is not allowed to see the kids, um, not allowed to have communications with the mom unless there's supervised visitation in a certain schedule. Well, dad shows up, he kidnaps the kids, and mom calls the police multiple times, and the police don't do anything about it. And ultimately, the dad murders the children and then dies in a shootout himself with the police. And again, the court there said, the police don't have an individual duty to protect you. I noticed they, they did defend themselves when they were in danger. Of course, which... Every person is going to do that, though, regardless if they're a police officer. Right, but I guess the, the common assumption is that if you're a police officer, that extends beyond you. Um, one of the things that the Supreme Court actually said, um, and I think I, I think I wrote the quote down. Oh, shoot. There's a quote, I think, from Justice Ginsburg that said that when a police officer puts on the uniform they don't accept any other special duties than any other person any other regular citizen has the thing that's interesting to point out about these cases though is these cases turn on property rights they have nothing to do with with policing they have to do with the property rights that the constitution affords you and in castle rock versus gonzalez the question is whether or not the protection order that was granted by the judge was a property right that the police, by refusing to uphold it, deprived the mother and the children of without due process. What's the property right in question there? I don't, I don't understand. I barely understand it as well. And, and that's ultimately what the court decided was you don't have a property right in a protection order that can be deprived in this fashion. There's no life, liberty, or property right in the protection from the police. And that's, at least from a constitutional standpoint, why the Supreme Court is okay with saying the police don't have to protect you. Can you, okay, I, so I don't quite get the rationale for why is it that the police shouldn't have that obligation, I guess, in the view of the court? Um, the police and the prosecutors since the dawn of time have had almost unbridled discretion to either charge or not charge somebody or arrest or not arrest somebody. There are certain instances where the police are mandated to arrest people, but imagine if every law said thou shall arrest for every offense and every grandma that steals food to feed her grandkids gets arrested. I mean, there are certain instances where, yes, somebody has committed a crime, but the police officer lets them go because us as regular people would think that's probably the right thing to do. Well, but it's, it's, it's not clear that everything deserves being arrested. For example, like you can get a parking fine. And, and that's... And I might be getting off topic a little bit, but there are certain offenses that you can't arrest people for because it is borderline ridiculous. Uh, but my point is the police have to have the ability to do their jobs. And if you're out on the street patrolling and you're constantly trying to figure out what the law allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do, you're probably a less effective police officer. I don't understand that line of reasoning. The 
if somebody is shooting a gun at a police officer, they should be allowed to protect themselves without having to debate whether or not the law gives them the ability to do so. I think that's probably the most extreme example. Even that, though, is you can find examples that would be controversial, like if you broke into somebody, the wrong person's house in the middle of the night, right? Sure, but at the, at the end of the day, the, the police have to have the ability to, to do their jobs without Well, being, okay, question. What is their job? Because it's not necessarily to protect people who call them. The, the police have a duty, to use that word again, to protect people outside of what the Constitution says. Okay, but based on the Supreme Court rulings, I don't really understand what that means either. What is their duty? They're, they're, they have a duty to protect people, but that duty isn't necessarily imposed by the government. It might be imposed by their employer. Um, if there's a school shooting and you run in the other direction, you're probably going to get fired. You might even get charged with a crime. I don't know what that crime is. Please don't ask me. But there are obligations that are imposed on people and on the, the police outside of what the Constitution says they have to do. It doesn't necessarily mean that the government, through criminal prosecution, is the one that holds the police to that standard, but they're still required to do things. It just depends on who does the enforcement. So in the attempt to professionalize, to go away from the Clint Eastwood style of policing, it still gave pretty much all discretion to localities to figure out how they want to enforce everything? I, I don't know that I would say all discretion because in one of the one of the things that was mentioned in the dissent from the Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, the protection order case with the with the three minor children, was that the statute said to the police, "Thou shall do X, Y, and Z." It said, "Thou shall arrest." I don't exactly remember, um, but. The state legislatures have the ability to take the discretion away from the police. They, the legislature has to exercise some judgment in, in so doing, but the, if, if the government wants to tell the police you must do something in certain circumstances, it has the ability to do so. And that happens very frequently in cases of domestic violence calls where either departmental policy or... Um, state laws will say if the police are called for a domestic violence case, somebody must be arrested. And that's a deliberate decision by whoever makes that decision to remove one person from that situation to possibly diffuse the violence. If every statute and law was like that, though, I bet it would be really, really hard to be a police officer. You're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm talking today with Matthew Worstner, a local attorney who wanted to get into the weeds about the police, the function, the way that the police work legally, and what possible reformations of it as an institution could look like. We'll be back with more of the conversation right here on Riverside Chats. Welcome to Back Row Center, a podcast from Filmstreams, an art house organization in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm Filmstreams Communications Director Patrick Kinney, and I'm joined by Dana Ryan, Filmstreams Development Manager, and Diana Martinez, Filmstreams Artistic Director. Dana, will you tell us more about what to expect from Back Row Center? Every month, the three of us will come together to talk about what's happening at Filmstreams and in the larger film world. Our theaters are places where we use film to put different art forms in conversation with each other and springboard important discussions about identity, politics, and art with moviegoers of all ages. We're excited to bring these conversations to you in a brand new format and hopefully have some fun in the process. As many of you may know, we've been going nonstop since our closure in March due to coronavirus. From our slate of virtual events and Q&As to weekly new releases available on our site, we're excited for a more personal way to bring you all in closer to the heart of our organization by hearing straight from the people behind the scenes. 
You'll get to know the three of us, as well as the rest of the Filmstream's crew, as this podcast develops. Even though we're closed, we still believe in the power of film as a collective, communal experience. So subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you listen, and we encourage you to tell us your thoughts about future topics, the films we talk about, and stuff we need to watch through our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Filmstream's everywhere. Until next time, we'll see you in the best seats in the house, back row center. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Matthew Worsner about the police. What is their constitutional duty? What should their role in society be? If we were to reform things, what might that look like? Is it feasible? Is it possible? What in the world do we do with some of our problems? Here's the rest of our conversation. Okay, okay so you're saying that <laughs> it's, it's potentially overwhelming to say you, the police have to go address every call. Right. But <laughs> I'm still not sure why that's not still part of the job, ultimately. Like, isn't that part of why taxpayer money does this as opposed to it just being like a, a privatized business? The, the police, though, have, have a lot of calls to respond to. Yeah. And if every single call for service was treated the exact same way, it is absolutely, unquestionably inevitable that somebody is going to call the police and say hey, my boyfriend is holding a gun to my head and the dispatcher is going to go, shoot, we don't have any police officers right now. We'll get back to you. They're, they're so that's, ha- a, that's a hiring issue, though. That's a, but that's the, a how many people the, do we need to do this and that would dictate how much our budget should be. The police can't have an unlimited budget, though. I mean, I'm a taxpayer, you're a taxpayer. I would never support that. Don't we have institutions that have unlimited budgets, though, in the U.S.? For example, the military? I in practice, yes. Um, I, I agree with you on that, but I don't know that I support an unlimited budget for the military or the police. Uh, I don't like paying taxes. Well, sure. Okay, yeah. So another thing that people will try to say is uh, maybe instead of having more police to try to do this, like some people wouldn't like that solution because some people don't inherently like the institution in general. So as far as the idea of defunding the police has been a big uh, issue and it's been something where I think a lot of people, I I get into this argument with people where, you know, like when you're doing a protest, you're not going to write a 500 word book or a 500,000 word book and hand it out. You're going to have a sign that has three to five words on it. So defunding the police is interpreted as one thing and it means a lot of different things depending on who you talk about. But a way that some people choose to try to address, I think even what you're saying, which is I think the problem you're talking about still kind of exists now, right? There sometimes are more calls than there are people to look into anything in general. Sure. So maybe, I mean, wh- where, where do you stand on the idea that there could be, you know, well, I guess the money doesn't even necessarily have to come from the police, but part of what some people are proposing in defunding the police is instead of increasing that budget in perpetuity, you could move some of it over to several different sort of like crisis lines, so if it's a person who's having some kind of mental health you know, issue or emergency, you call those people. And so 911 doesn't necessarily mean the people with guns show up all the time, right? I, I, I know what you're saying, and I agree with the concept that if we were to invest more money into other community services, we would be able to take that money away from the police. I think that that's correct, and I, I partially agree with the principle. Um, I am not a, an expert in this area, though, but my assumption and guess would be if we took a police department's budget and took a portion of it away and gave it to community services, there would be a, there would be a tremendous increase in crime off the bat, and things would have to get a lot worse before they got better. Why do you think there'd be an increase in crime? Um, I doubt highly that the community services would work immediately. Well, I think part of what it would need is, like, you think about what Gene Stothert has argued against, which was taking, like, 2% of the police budget and investing it. And so 2% probably makes some difference, but it's not the same thing as, like, we're going to build a new crisis establishment, right, where there's now multiple institutions, because that's a huge undertaking. I, if... And I, I don't know that I want to state an opinion on, on taxes and, and budgets, but... Um, if 
That money remained with the police, but an additional 2% went to community services. And there was a reduction in crime and the need for policing. Then I think it would make sense to reduce the police's budget because it would be unnecessary. I just don't know that it would necessarily work if you um, pounded a gavel and said, oops, you're going to lose a portion of your budget. You need to fire 25% of the force and give up a bunch of your equipment immediately. I think that that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, any business couldn't adapt that quickly and still offer the same level of service. And if you're going to create a community organization that is far-reaching and helps a lot of people, those kind of things take time and they don't happen overnight. And you would need to do one before the other, in in my opinion. So... In your opinion, then, is is the emergency part what differentiates it from other services? Like, if I call to try to get electricity in a house, they will they will answer the call and they'll answer and they'll give me some kind of quote and we can figure it out. I don't know. I don't know if that. And I, and I know I'm getting off topic now, but I don't know if that is correct. I you know if, if I, I call, they can just say yeah. As, especially in somewhere like Texas uh, and New York State that have private utility services you might call the utility service and have them go no thanks we are not interested okay but i'm talking about if the police is a a public service at least the analogy works for someplace like omaha right where we do have that as something where everybody in theory can call and get electricity i guess why is it that like if i go to the dmv there might be there might be hourly restrictions which the police don't have in the same way but in theory if i'm in line and i get up there they will do something to try to address whatever i'm there to do it, I think that the the really bad and egregious examples make for really bad and egregious examples and, and nothing else. And I don't think that it's fair for us to look at cases like Deshaney versus Winnebago and Castle Rock versus Gonzalez and say these are representative examples of why we need to dismantle the police or why the laws need to change. The Omaha Omaha Police Department responds to hundreds of thousands of calls for service every year. In every profession, in every line of work, you're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. It's just policing is one of those things where if you aren't perfect or if there is a bad apple, people can get hurt, people can get killed. That's why we have public trials for these things. Uh, it's to hold the police officers accountable because they do have the ability to impart pretty final justice on us in ways that um, high school English teachers and private practice lawyers don't have the ability to do. Well, but okay, so this is part of why I think it, you've, made, you've made both cases there, I think, because, because it is an issue of life and death. Shouldn't it have way more scrutiny? It does. I, I think it and some people think not enough, and that seems like a fair question. Why shouldn't we look into that? It and I. Nobody wants to have somebody looking over their shoulder, and I. I, I if you have a gun, shouldn't someone look over your shoulder, though? Yeah, I absolutely. Like but, if a gun is part of your job, but in which it's understood you might shoot somebody. There still has to be, and I I, I like to be as middle ground as possible. There has to be some level of oversight but also some level of freedom to do your job because you want to attract the right people to do the job and you want to give them the ability to do that job without having to second guess themselves and i mean it's it's ridiculous but what if the police officer says i don't know if i'm allowed to um apprehend this person and that person pulls out a gun and shoots somebody well the police officer because of potential oversight has said I don't know how to do my job, and somebody else gets hurt for it. The flip side of that is, though, if you don't police the police at all, they may be able to run roughshod um, and completely violate people's rights and shoot and kill and and harm people. There's a balance somewhere in the middle, somewhere, that has to be found. But you don't think that there should be more uh, laws or constitutional amendments that address this in a more direct way? Absolutely not, and I will go out on a limb and say that every single Supreme Court justice since the beginning of the Constitution agrees with me. 
But you're not even a big fan of the Supreme Court. I'm I'm not, but it has to be worth something, right? Well, does it? I mean, it's, this is a, a question we have a lot because we have uh, a bias of what feels normal to us must be justified uh, because it exists now. There's probably some reason why it exists, which isn't always the case, although it can feel that way. It, the the system, I think has worked for the most part. I don't know at what point it's fair to say the system has not worked. There's there's an absolutely unbelievable innumerable amount of police shootings that if what I, and I don't know the statistics, but if what I perceive to be true, a lot of those shootings are disproportionately people of color, minorities, uh, people with mental health issues, and, and that's that's not fair. I don't know if that means that the system doesn't work and that a different system would work better. But you're not interested in exploring the other system. I know it's not your job to figure this out. It's not like you're the one who's going to propose I, it or anything. I don't I don't want to pay a dollar more in taxes than I currently do. So I am I am in a, a dilemma, but I think if more resources were devoted to non-policing community services, that could reduce the number of calls for service that the police had, I would be wildly in support of that if it worked, and then I would be in even more support of that if we could reduce the size of the police department or police budget, and I end up paying lower taxes. Well, so this ties into several issues, because if you get arrested, you might go to prison. And so, like, another thing that's just come up that's fairly controversial is We've decided uh, the the state. Some people in the state have decided that we need another prison for youth. Uh, the issue of overcrowding That's in prisons. That's the solution. Well, yeah, this yeah. is what I mean, right? So it it goes deeper than what we've talked about in this first half hour, even here. We we can't get to the the middle of it all. Um, but so to have the policing the system as it is to say it basically works. Part of the result of it and I guess the judicial element to it is we do have overcrowded prisons. We do have a lot of people getting arrested for things that some people think are not a big deal, like things like marijuana, which are crimes in some states and not in others. Uh, so, I mean, do you feel like the system is working in that sense? What do you, what's your stance on prisons at this point? Um, I don't want to spend more tax dollars on building another prison. Um, that solving the issue of overcrowding is a, a whack-a-mole problem because there's 25 different things that you could target that individually might have a small impact but um, might not at the same time but together would have a big impact. Um, if you build a new prison, all you're going to do is fill it eventually. And yeah, then and you're going to need another one. Another one. Yeah. I, the, 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 the fact that it's a youth prison in general seems like there, there's a metaphor in here. And the the Supreme Court has said that um, solitary confinement for minors is unconstitutional. And they haven't gone far enough, I don't think, in reforming the way that the laws work for minors. And I, I am always conflicted when a minor is charged with a crime as an adult or is not. That's a whole other issue as well. I think, but the the problem is with policing or prisons is there's there's no one answer and there's no way of knowing what the right answer is until you try it out. And if it's wrong, policing is one of those things where people can die if it's wrong. It's like being a doctor. If you guess wrong and you cut the wrong thing and somebody dies, um, that's not a risk that a lot of other jobs have. And so the stakes are, are really high, And but I don't know how you how you find the solution without without doing something and taking the risk. So you've got your notes here. Uh, I don't know how much we've covered so far. Were there other things that you wanted to address? Um, the thing that was really interesting, I should have brought this up earlier because now I'm tying back. and it's doesn't, okay. doesn't make sense to me. Um, the Castle Rock versus Gonzalez case is acknowledged by Justice Scalia in the majority opinion as being very sad, because it is. What's shocking to, what would be shocking to lay people is to find out that 
she, the mom, never even made it to trial. That's how well settled of a principle this is. She lost on a motion to dismiss, which means she filed the lawsuit and the state said, no, you don't even have the right to file a lawsuit against us. And the Supreme Court said, yes, you're right. She literally didn't even have a day in court. That's how how well settled of a principle this is. Well, so there, there's two views that you might have to this, though. Yours is that, okay, so the system has basically decided this. There's probably some reason why that's the case. Maybe there's some validity to it. Other people might say, well, the system is broken, and I, I've lost a lot of faith in it today. Why should I trust it to do better next time? I don't know that the system is broken, necessarily, though. I, I, I think if, if put on the spot... I'm going to argue that the system is not broken. It's slow. It does not work perfectly. Um, there are a lot of instances of it working flat out incorrectly. But on the whole, the majority of the time, the system does work. Um, the, the problem in DeShaney versus Winnebago and the problem in Castle Rock versus Gonzalez and... Warren versus District of Columbia, which I didn't bring up, but I think might be the most egregious of all of these cases, is not with the government. It's with the individuals. It's with the police officers that, that didn't do their job or the social services worker that didn't do their job. Um, there's 24 hours in a day, and there's a lot of time in there to do your job correctly. And unfortunately, in two of these three cases somebody didn't do their job correctly and people literally died because of it so let, let's you use the analogy of a doctor cutting the wrong i don't know vein or something cutting the wrong organ out whatever whatever might happen yeah if, if somebody did that what do you what do you do to the doctor generally um you're a monster because i know where you're getting um you have the ability to sue the doctor and recover some kind of damages from them and do you think that's fair um, to an extent, yes, What's, okay. it, it is, it is fair because in, in those instances you have an injury and it is a compensable injury and somebody needs to be held accountable for it. Can you do that with police officers? For the most part? No, you cannot. Why? Um, because the system has said that you can't. <laughs> okay. All right. So the system, which works and is right most of the time. Has the, said this. Why? The difference is, though, if the doctor makes a mistake and is negligent, but they are not criminally negligent, they have to pay dollars. If a police officer makes a mistake, um, they might go to jail for it. And the uh, doctor doesn't necessarily have the same criminal liability implications that the police officer does. The police are policed by um, criminal laws and to a greater extent, I think, than many of the rest of us are. But there, there is a public policy rationale behind it that um, I, I do support that the police have, the, the police and the government as a whole has an ability to impart a lot of harm on us as a society and as individual people. Um, the government offers us, as a whole, a lot of services, though. And if we open the government up to civil liability uh, for the actions of police officers, there is a very, very good possibility that this bankrupts a spectacular number of cities and towns and counties around the country. Okay, but that is on the assumption that they will lose a lot of these lawsuits and have to pay out. Right. But Which means that they did something wrong if we trust the courts, right? Not necessarily, though. You don't have to lose the case to still be a loser financially. You okay. still have to pay the lawyer. It, it, win or lose, the lawyers always get paid. I'm telling people that all the time. But so, like, if a doctor gets sued, they have, liability, or they have uh, malpractice insurance... They they are able to find a way to have a lawyer, for example. Uh, like there are all. I mean, a, a a police officer can get a lawyer. A police officer can get a public defender if they want. Der I mean, a doctor can get a public defender. Right. Derek Chauvin can get a uh, union lawyer as well. So I mean, they're not 
required to pay a whole lot to have somebody defend them in court. The the thing is, though, it costs a lot of money to take a case to trial. And, and, and that's just paying the lawyer. I... I am going to speculate wildly that if Derek Chauvin were to have paid out of pocket for the defense that he received, that is a quarter of a million dollars that he paid to his attorney to get a guilty verdict. Um, and that's and that's just the lawyer fees. Now imagine the city of Omaha has 25 different lawsuits against it where it has to pay quarter of a million dollars each to the lawyers and then loses all of them and the city of omaha is now on the hook for 500 million dollars worth of judgments far exceeding whatever the city of omaha's insurance is what does the city of omaha do it goes bankrupt it no longer builds roads it no longer offers the police well, we no longer build roads anyway <laughs> we gave up on that no but okay so if, if a doctor loses a malpractice suit the hospital doesn't have to foot the bill do they um, they might. I don't... It, now you're really actually getting into my area. A lot of doctors are independent contractors, and so the hospital might not have to pay it. But if the doctor was an employee, um, let the master speak for the servant is the translation of the old-timey Latin phrase, um, which I think is respondiat superior, if you, if you really want to feel sophisticated. But... Um, yeah, if your employee goes out and injures somebody, you, the employer, are um, on the hook for whatever that is, whatever that liability is. Okay, so, but the way to solve the accountability issue would be to separate that, right? So, if the individual is responsible for what the individual did wrong, um, as yeah, opposed to the whole. They, they are, though. But the, the reason that respondeat superior exists is, I don't have any money, you don't have any money, the individual police officer probably doesn't have any money. They certainly don't have tens of millions of dollars to pay a judgment. So, and what I tell people oftentimes when they come to me as a potential client and they want to sue somebody uh, and the def potential defendant doesn't have any money is I, I am willing to take your case and to take your money to give you a piece of paper that says you're right, but you're not going to get anything else. And has a person that's been aggrieved by a police officer who gets to sue the police officer and then collects nothing, have they really won anything? I, that's up to the person, though, right, ultimately. Um, I, I suppose in a, in a feel-good sense, maybe, but most people don't sue somebody um, to feel good. And you have to have the money to pay the lawyer to actually sue them. And if people are suing defendants that don't have any money, they're not going to have money to pay the lawyer, and everybody loses except for the lawyer. And I, I don't think that's what we want. But it, it is a system that has more direct accountability for direct actions made by individuals. I, I understand what you're saying about the logistics of it, um, but part of the problem is like you're saying tying it to cities doesn't seem like it does a whole lot other than deter people from going after wrongdoers um i don't know that i ne necessarily agree with that uh the the government has to have the ability to function and if it's opened up to all sorts of liability I mean, this has actually literally happened in Nebraska that the, the city or the county has said, we don't have the money to pay this judgment. Our alternatives are pay them every dollar that we have and go broke or declare bankruptcy and not pay them anything. That's a lose-lose. Either one person wins or um, all of society loses. All right, so I'm going to go back to a question I've already asked you here. The system yeah. works. It's good. Absolutely. This is a good system. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What's the alternative? Well, this is what I was talking about before is we because we are used to it, it's easy to say it must be this way it, because it's the most logical or something's right or the, the moral arc of the universe must bend toward justice. I don't think there is an alternative. Right? Because like I just said, the alternative is everybody loses. In the system that is we Is everybody winning right now? 
Uh, no, but most lawyers, lawyers <laughs> still winning, right? That's the, I, that's why you like the system. I, I hate the expression, but I tell people a lot of the times when people fight, the only people that win are lawyers. Um, it the system works for most people. It is not perfect. It it's not possible to create a perfect system. Um, the the framers of the Constitution acknowledged that. Um, and the drafters of the Declaration of Independence acknowledged that they literally wrote it into the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. Um, it, it we have to accept the limitations that are put on the government and are put on us. And I don't think there is a good viable alternative. There might be some tweaking that we could do, but I don't think completely upending the system. Um, will work. I guess, but but the the idea has always been that it should be open to big changes. Like, for example, going from hiring Clint Eastwood to what we have now, that's a huge change that happened over 100 years. So it, why can't it look completely different in the it, next 100 it, years? It wasn't a huge change that happened overnight. It was a no. series of small steps. Okay, so you're saying tweaks that could add up over 100 years maybe are fine. A- absolutely. And I, I, agree, and I, I did look into defunding the police and i don't know what it means there's a lot of different things out there but i am i am in support of the principle that more money needs to be devoted to community services that could ultimately reduce the burden on policing and that's a small change that i think we could make as a society that would ultimately lead to other changes that would then lead to other changes and then maybe in 25 years we can look back on this and say, gosh, can you believe how different things used to be and how much better it is now? But if you demand everything happen overnight, well, you're going to be unhappy because it's if you get what you want, it's probably not going to be a good solution in the long run. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up because uh, you know you, you've you've kind of given your pitch for the future. Um, you've reconciled some things you've acknowledged a lot is there anything else you want to get across before we actually turn off the mics how much time do we have left i, mean, I could go up to five minutes more uh the, the only other thing that i i wanted to bring up we don't we don't have time to discuss i guess next next time i guess i suppose so it's a boring law topic and once again <laughs> you found a way to not talk about it <laughs> You you didn't bring it up. There was a point about a half hour in. I I'm, asked you, I'm is not, there anything else you want to say? And you uh, kind I'm of circled back. I'm not the host of the show. No, I don't, I don't know what you want to talk about. You're in that charge. Yeah. You right. wrote the map. Um, I'm, well, I like to think of it more like I'm just on the high seas. And if I see an <laughs> island, I might go there. But okay, so what, give me a tease for next time you're on. What are we going to talk about? Um, why isn't the Nebraska state government doing a better job protecting the intellectually disabled. All right. So tune in at some point in the future for that one. I'm not going to welcome back though. So <laughs> you're welcome back. That's it's, it's in the books. All right. Th- thanks for being on again. I, I'm happy to be here. That was Matthew Wersner talking about the role of police in America, its function, the constitutional obligations of the force and what reform might look like. Let us know what you think. You probably have thoughts. You're probably mad at somebody on this episode from listening to this, right? So let us know on social media. You can follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Riverside Chats is produced at KIOS in Omaha. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. And the artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Thank you for listening. As always, I am Tom Noblock. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts so you can listen to our full backlog and tune in next week for another conversation.